when we're in a room together already, it's it gets weird with. Leave that the fuck right now. I think the moon landing so you wouldn't get murdered. That right there with the Illuminami. Strange noises, and that would be cocaine. I could be an alien. You ready, motherfuckers? Yes. yes. So, has anybody in your family gotten sick yet with it starting to cool down? Or I guess especially after your trip to Utah? Uh, I mean, my sister's sick, but it has nothing to do with the weather. <laughs> are you talking about my immediate family? Like, here yeah, in my house? Yeah, I guess, yeah, pretty much. Oh, uh, no. We had a scare because we went to a jazz game with a friend, and uh, she has a cold. Yeah. But... So far, so nice. good. Nice. What about you? Is you guys? Someone's got no, the sniffles. We're not sick right now, but the I mean, the last couple weeks, or like probably like two weeks ago, for a couple weeks, we had it pretty good. And uh, I think it's just funny whenever that time comes around. It reminds me my rule on sneezes. And you have a rule on. Sneezes? I know it sounds silly, right? But. <laughs> And I mean, and it's a rule that I'd, I'd probably remember more if I still worked and was around more people. But uh, I don't say bless you after three sneezes. I, I don't oh, know you. I think, I think most people okay, have that that's rule. Fair. I mean, <laughs> yeah, after three, it's okay, get your right, shit. Together. Exactly. It's like, bless you. Oh, uh, bless you. Oh, uh, bless you. Okay, you got to figure your shit out. Because, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause, and yeah, I'll give him one bless you, and then after a second, I'll go two times. That's all yeah. I'll say. I'll go bless you, and then two, fair. two times, and then the third time, yeah. silence. I'm not, so. no. Yeah. That's fair. I'm giving you all of my <laughs> blessings. <laughs> I have none left to give, okay? You gotta, you just got to buck up, be an adult. <laughs> and the f- yeah, three's a And the funny thing is, it's, my it's not even because it grosses well, me out. Oh, no. No. Is it cause just because it's obnoxious? Yeah, it's just because I'm like, I don't want to keep saying it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in to Scapegoats. Gracias. Yeah. Sorry about taking a week off, too. Thank you for being patient. Hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Right. I know well, I did. Same here. I I'll mean, tell you what. It hasn't happened yet. But. I've had two Thanksgivings. And I ate so much food. I I ate enough food for my entire family. Um, after one of them, I was supposed to drive home. I did not. <laughs> You're like, eh. In the car. On the way home. Yeah. That's the way to do it, man. I uh, Dude, Thanksgivings are the best. I love well, eating all the food. I haven't been eating sugar. Um, I do oh, around yeah. my birthday. So luckily, Halloween comes... Right before, so that way I can take some of my kids' candy and yeah, celebrate on up. my birthday. <laughs> um, but on this Thanksgiving, I decided I was going to cheat as well. And instead of eating, like, a piece of pie, I had five pieces of pie. Hell yeah. Dude, that's so the fucking I, way to do it, man. Oh, dude, it was so good. So I had pecan or pecan or toucan or <laughs> toucan or... Uh, tomato, tomato. I mean, not tomato, tomato pie. pie, but I mean, you know. Same pecan, thing. Pecan. Um, uh, pumpkin. I had chocolate banana and regular banana cream pie. Damn. Um, and then an apple pie. That is impressive. I do love pie. It's it's yeah. always nice when there's like a big plethora 
of pies because you can really yep. just have like little baby slices and just you know sample it up. I feel like I like it that way more than I like pie just in general. Like if there was like one or two pies, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I mean, why? Well, it just means I have to have one big slice of pie, and that's not the worst thing. Well, but, why uh, <laughs> why have baby slices? Just well, man just up like and have regular slices. <laughs> I'm swear well, to God, that's what I did. My well, plate no, is I mean, just completely filled with pie. To be fair, a baby slice for me is probably almost a normal size slice of pie for pretty much anybody else. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, I mean, you're right. I need to stop calling them baby slices and just fucking man up about it. There you go. Call my normal sized slices extra large slices. Or a man slice. A man slice. Here's a little slice of man pie, if you know what I'm talking about. Or a about. woman slice. Yeah, yeah. You're being real sexist now, Regis. I didn't. Fuck. I realized that we were as we were talking about it. And then I <laughs> sh- thought I should include the ladies. Don't say we because it was mostly you, and I just I jumped realized on board. I was being sexist <laughs> and wanted to clear my name. <laughs> no blame can be put on me. I didn't start it, saying it first. So, uh, <laughs> well, we cleared the air. We're good. We're good. We figured it out. I mean, I'm good. Oh, good. Yeah, exactly. You're good. I was always great. So, <laughs> fair. <laughs> is that what today's episode's about? Uh, is pie? Is how I am awesome, and we both love pie. I'm excited for this. Oh yeah, you should be. Well, no. So today's episode, actually, I'm going to oh. start off with. Have you heard of the Twenty Seven Club? The Twenty Seven Club is that that club at Disneyland? No, it's not. Oh. <laughs> Is that the 23 Club? Yeah, I think I the know 33. it's not the number club 27. Yeah. It's club 33 is what that called. I knew if the I started by asking you this question, though, you were going to s- first guess <laughs> it was the club from <laughs> Disneyland. <laughs> you know me so well. Twen- <laughs> so it's 27 Clubs, is that what you said? Yes, sir. Does that have to do with age? Maybe. You motherfucker. What <laughs> I will confirm or deny no- none of your questions. I, I might, I may have heard of it. Uh, I okay. I don't know. Okay, that's fair. Well, yeah. So it it kind of started as a, it's a popular club for musicians, artists, actors, and athletes, but it's not a club that you really join. Like you said, you guessed with the age. It's a club that you are forced into if you die at the age of twenty-seven. Oh, yes. Typically, I was not aware of this club. Well, cool. Typically, this club, uh, most of their deaths result in drug or alcohol abuse, of course. Oh, no. Um, sometimes, uh, or other, like, violent means. Um, I mean, there's one homicide, a couple suicides. But even then, the homicide and the suicide are still drug-related. Okay. They so, classify that in there? Yeah. I mean, it's like... They died from the homicide and the, or the suicide, but those things still happened to be you well, know, so very so who associated are some people? with. Throw drugs. some names at me that are in this club. Okay, so Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, okay, uh, and Jim Morrison, the lead singer of The Doors. Oh, those are just a couple. There, I have a Mac- hu- what? Mac-, Mac Miller almost made that list. Oh, pr- he was, was like he 25 or 26? Oh, pretty fucking close, man. Yeah, I mean, I I should even hurry and just double check the list to make sure he's not on here. Nope. 
No, he isn't. He can't be. He's not. He's a, he was he never made it to twenty seven. Okay, well, I mean that's fair. I didn't know exactly for sure how old he was, so I was just, I guess that was me not trusting your knowledge of Mac Miller. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so the funny thing about Mac Miller is I became interested in him a month before he died. So I'm not gonna say I was a big fan or that's fair. Like I was so into everything he did or anything like that. But I was watching. I love the Tiny Desk concert that uh, uh, PBR or no. PBR. Wait, yeah, is it PBR? Pabst Blue uh, Ribbon. What? You mean like Pabst, Pabst Blue, Blue Ribbon, like the beer? Yeah, not PBR. Uh, what's that public radio? PR. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck is it? NPR. <laughs> NPR. <laughs> PBR. <laughs> I just love how you're N- like. What's that like news? Uh, you know, like the the public radio. <laughs> you mean PBR. like NPR? You know <laughs> yeah, NPR. Uh, right. NPR does a tiny desk. Uh, concert series mm-hmm. all the time and they bring on sometimes big names sometimes unknown people yeah and that's how i came across macklemore years ago years, oh yeah so years, that's what i was about ago. to say that's how i first heard of macklemore yeah so uh, probably a month before mac miller died i saw mac miller on the tiny desk concert and one of the songs um small world or something like that yeah it was really cool so then i started listening to his music and I didn't listen to, to all of it. I didn't really get into too much. That's but right. he had a couple really good songs I can get down to. And then he died, and I was really, really bummed. Yeah. So I mean, then I, w- I wasn't obsessed, but then I, like, I had a moment where I was, I was obsessive about Mac Miller. That's fair. I mean, you, that's better than me. I, I actually tr- knew about Mac Miller for a long time. Uh, and I mean, and I tried his music several different times, and it just never just never worked for me, I guess. Okay. And it wasn't until after he died that I was like, okay, I mean, I should at least try one more time. And then that time I actually, there was, you know, still not all of his music, but there's still like three or four Seven. songs at least that I was like, okay, definitely yeah. going to keep this in my rotation. So Makes sense. What's funny is Mac Miller looks like every kid, every, every person. Wait, how do I phrase this? Mac <laughs> Miller looks like the guy that every single one of us went to high school with that tried to be a rapper. Yeah, he pretty much does. Yeah. I mean, and the funny thing is, too, is he even looks like a weird mixture between Eminem, Macklemore, and one of the Ed, Ed, and Eddie's characters. (laughs) I feel like so it's like, oh, okay, they all tried. (laughs) But yeah, so he almost made it to the 27 Club. Not quite. But yeah, so this is that part of that club. And there's a lot of... Uh, other artists and actors and stuff like that on here, but it's typically more well known for musicians. Yeah. Okay. So who else? Twenty. Amy Winehouse. Ooh, boom! There you go, man. Amy Winehouse. Yeah, she was twenty-seven when she died. There you go. Kurt Cobain. He was twenty-seven oh. when he died. So Ooh. weird that you bring up Kurt Cobain. That's interesting. Because I know a little bit about Kurt Cobain. A little bit. I mean, Is that I've what kno- we're talking about today. I mean, I've known a lot about Kurt Cobain, my, you know, for a long time. But I mean, I know even more now. I don't. Oh, oh. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. I mean, that's fair to say. I think. Are you Are you hinting at something? As in, we're going to his new concert. <laughs> we're going oh. to Kurt Cobain's concert. It's going to be great, guys. <laughs> They're bringing him well, back. They brought Tupac. They brought Tupac back. Come on. Yeah, why can't right? they bring back Kurt Cobain? We could try it out. We'll see how it goes. That was yeah. the, well. It's probably I don't want to say rude things, but it's probably better he died. Is that right? 
I mean, it's better things came better. from him leaving the planet. For his sake and the music world's sake. I mean, I I would Not agree with some of that. No, like yeah, like I don't agree with what you're saying 100%, but I do see because I mean, Nirvana and Kurt Cobain were already big names. They were already well known. And it already opened for the one doors song. for a lot of bands, but, um, but yeah, they they got even just even bigger after you know, of course, the death of an artist always. Does. I mean, the same thing happened to Sublime, really, too. Is they didn't get nearly as big as Nirvana, but you know, they were starting to build more and more momentum, and then the lead singer died, and then it became very popular. But I mean, it's too bad that didn't happen to Linkin Park. Yeah, theirs was kind of reversed. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, the band died with. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Well, uh, I I feel like uh, wh- oh shit was a uh, fucking what's the name? Jesus Christ! Was it Axl Rose that was gonna help out? Or no, he helped ACDC. I feel like I I remember somebody was gonna help cover uh, Lincoln Park for at least finishing up a tour, but I'm not sure. Oh, and they just ended it. They just said no, no. enough. Yeah, I don't know, but probably for the best. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. Kurt Cobain was born at Grays Harbor Hospital in Aberdeen, Washington, on February twentieth, nineteen sixty-seven. Chester, Chester, Chester's his name. Okay, che- we're good. Paying who, attention now. Who was Chester's name? Who what? Chester Bennington. Oh, okay. I get. Isn't that say. isn't that the guy who killed himself in Lincoln Park? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not yeah. 100% on the last name, but Chester for sure, yes. I was like, wait, who's Chester? Pretty what? <laughs> mostly positive, but that's fair. My, you have my undivided attention now. Oh, good. All right, sweet. I mean, <laughs> that is, it is good to have. I don't, I don't really expect it all the time, to be fair, but, you know, that's <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> so it works out. Cool. Yeah, so he was the son of waitress Wendy Elizabeth and an automotive mechanic, Donald Cobain. Chester uh, or Kurt? Kurt Cobain. Kurt okay. <laughs> You're like, wait, Chester? Holy shit, really? <laughs> he was related right to Kurt around. Cobain? No way. Da, da, da. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah, so he he would eventually be joined by his younger sister, Kimberly, and she was born on April 20th, 4th, 1970. And so Kurt was described as being a happy and excitable child who also exhibited, oh my God, uh, a little bit of sensitivity, and he just needed a little bit of extra care. So, I mean, I don't know. Take with that from you, Will, I guess. Okay. Yeah, but his talent as an artist was evident from an early age, and as he would draw his favorite characters from films and cartoons, uh, you know, so one of those that he drew a lot was the creature from the Black Lagoon and Donald Duck. Hmm. And and so his enthusiasm was encouraged also by his grandmother, Iris, who was a professional artist. So uh, that's one thing that not everyone knows about Kurt Cobain. And I wanted to talk more about it, but I had to cut a lot out of this episode because I wrote too much. Oh. <laughs> but he's a, he's actually a pretty big artist, too. He, d- he did a lot of cover work ar- album shit for them and... Um, well, that makes sense. A lot of a lot yeah. of musicians have like another sense of artistic, whether it be graffiti or, or like sketch or painting. Like that's that's not yeah. uncommon. No, that's yeah. So it's definitely that's something that you see in a lot of different artists. But it's cool, you know, when you can 
have more than just being a great singer or a great guitarist mm-hmm. or a songwriter and shit. It like just that. means he's got a lot going on in the noodle. Right. In the noodlers. Which, and when there's a lot going on in the brain, sometimes that's worse than nothing going on in the brain. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, uh, man. Right. Sometimes. And so, <laughs> Why aren't you oh, a lucky you. soul? You get to just float around this earth, not a worry in the world. <laughs> <laughs> we're so lucky that we're just one of those, you know, what were we talking about? <laughs> yeah, I um, can tell you. Oh, yeah, we were talking about, okay. I uh, um, uh, Kurt Cobain, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. All right. Yeah, he, uh, he had a lot of stuff going on in his brain. <laughs> But yeah, so Cobain's family had a musical background as well, but uh, Cobain began developing an interest in music at a young age, and according to his aunt, he began singing at a young age too. Um, and he would, they at, from a young age, that he learned how to play piano and sing and write songs, and he would write songs about like trips to going to the park and stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> how, yeah, and how he adorable, had, right? So cute. Can you imagine your kid at four? Just like writing songs, like oh, I wrote this whole song. Mm-hmm. Now let's play it on the piano. You're like, what the fuck? You uh, know, my niece, um, her name's Tylee. Oh, she's so adorable. That's exactly what she does. She just walks around and she just sings and she makes up all these songs, They're just <laughs> about what's going on in front of her. Yeah, it's so cute. It's nuts, man. It's good times. Yeah, and when he was younger, he was also a fan of the Beatles and the Monkees. Uh, I mean. <laughs> I, it sounded like I just said he was a fan of two different types of like animals. <laughs> now that I really Beatles and it. monkeys. And he, he really liked Beatles and monkeys. He had pajamas of Beatles and monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I meant the band, the Beatles and the monkeys. I gotcha. <laughs> okay, good. Just making sure. <clears throat> but yeah, so fairly normal childhood, other than you know being exceptionally gifted as an artist, I guess. And then his parents had to go and ruin everything. Gosh. Ugh, parents are the worst. <laughs> Doing things like, you know, divorce and stuff. Oh, Shoot. no. Ugh. Ruins everybody, right? <laughs> or not. I don't know. But when <laughs> he was nine years old, at least, his parents divorced. Ooh. And uh, right, I know. And he's, he later said in an interview that the divorce had a profound effect on his life. And uh, his mother even noted that his personality dra- dramatically changed around this time. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, right? And, it, yeah, he started becoming more defiant and withdrawn. And, uh, you know, I mean, th- that sounds pretty typical for at least one kid, if you have multiple, for a divorce. Yeah. And, you know, and most of the time they eventually cope with it or get over it, but sometimes it doesn't always work out. And, yeah, it can be hard on some kids. Well, that age is rough. I mean, at that point, you're like, I feel like that's when a child like starts to blossom. Yeah. You know, five, five, six, seven. They're just kind of like figuring out letters and sentences, and you know, getting a a good understanding of how things mostly work. But then once you hit like ten years old, and then more and more things start to make sense, and then puberty hits, and then it's even worse. Uh, so yeah, I can only imagine that. And my my parents are divorced, and I was twelve when that happened, and it yeah. it hit me pretty hard. I remember I was like I was pretty social. Um, I kind of well, I was a class clown to start with, 
But then I kind of went into shell for a while. It took a minute to get out. Yeah, but, that's fair. So I, I can understand completely. Yeah, and I feel like that definitely be hard as a teenager. See, so, like, I'm, one, you know, just like half of the country, so it's not, like, a huge thing. But I'm, uh, you know, the child of from divorce as well. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I my parents got a divorce when I was, I think I was, I was almost seven. Oh. You know, so. So it was. I was pretty young. Did you also write songs about going to the park? Uh, I mean, I didn't write songs about going to the park, but I did write songs about cutting myself all the time. Uh, no, just oh. <laughs> whoa, sorry, dark, dark joke. That no, <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, I actually. So like, I remember when they told us, like, all my. I watched all my brothers and sisters start crying, and I was like, "What does that mean?" You know what I mean? And then once they explained it, it felt hard, and it still, you know, it still defined a part of my personality, and, you know, I had some changes, but I think it was almost easier, because for me, being younger, I didn't, you know, there was less emotion to it, almost, I guess. So, I didn't understand oh, it yet. So you're, By the time I understood parents, it, I was old enough that I was okay. Oh, okay. Did your parents tell all of you at the same time? Yeah. They, like, sat us down. And did they tell you exactly what was going on? Like, hey, guys, we're getting a divorce. Yeah, they just said, hey, yeah, it was, it was, it felt actually, like, now looking back, almost pretty similar to, like, the way they do it in movies. (laughs) (laughs) Mine was. Yeah, it's like we just all sat down. That's so crazy. See, my, our parents split us all up. Like, they each talked to us one at a time. Yeah. I remember my dad came in and was like, hey, you know how you and your sister fight a lot? And you just need a break <laughs> from each other? Well, it's kind of what me and your mom are going to do. It's like, oh, okay. I understand. Yeah, okay. And then they, ne- like, my dad moved out. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, so that kind of break. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty big break. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. No, and it's like, and I, I, if I recall, like, they told my two older siblings separately because, I mean, my oldest sister, I think she was like, almost like 18 or 19 at the time so it's like she was moving out of the house and so that was a different conversation and then my oldest brother you know different conversation but then the rest of us were you know pretty young to where that still worked out Hmm. to just group us all together interesting yeah but uh good times right Woohoo! the best of times (laughs) when i think of good times i think of that Heyo. <laughs> What's Hanging I re- I remember the my room that I was in because my sister had just moved downstairs and so I just moved into her room and so there was like pink flowers everywhere. I remember this like nice. border wallpaper around the top and sometimes I would have friends come over and we would go hang out in my room and I'm like no it's my sister's room but I'm living in it. <laughs> like, try right. to act like I'm like I'm really cooler than I am. Exactly. No, that was that was a s- very similar for me when I first moved in with my dad. After I mean, because after the divorce, I stayed with my mom. But then I think I mean I think I lived with her for another, you know, like six or seven years after the divorce. But then when I first moved in with my dad, uh, I I moved into the room because at, at the age of I think I was thirteen, that my parents were already grandparents. And so they had a room for the grandkids. But that was the room that ended up becoming mine, and then they just oh. made a play area for the kids instead. <laughs> but <laughs> there was mostly granddaughters. 
Oh. So for like six months to almost a year, I think, I li- I slept in like a princess fairy room <laughs> that I was able to like put away like, you know, the porcelain like fairies that they had that were fancy yeah. and, you know, but I, but I, but like my bed frame and headboard were still like very f- girly looking and white. Yeah. And there was like, I think I, and even after I like redecorated my room, it was one thing I kept on there just because I thought it was funny. But it was like a, like one of those sticker quotes on the wall, and it was like, "If you dream hard enough, you can become a fairy." I think is what it said. <laughs> you left it up, <laughs> and even after like I was able to redecorate, I was like, "Nah, that can stay. That's just it. for the it's just inspiring. for humor's sake, <laughs> right? Come on, maybe I don't I mean, be a fairy. It could say, but... if you dream hard enough, you could become blank, but." <laughs> Nobody else needs to know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. But yeah, for a long for a long time though, I remember just anytime someone would come to the room, they're like, "Uh, what's going on here, man?" <laughs> That's funny. Don't ask. Don't ask. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Kurt got tossed around between both of his parents a little bit. First, he lived with his mom, but things just kept getting worse with him and school and not listening. So then. She kicked him out, and he went to go live with his dad, and that was only within months of the divorce. And uh, for a while, things were actually better than before. He was getting a lot of one-on-one attention with his dad. They were going camping. They were watching movies together. They would talk about music. Uh, But then – and and both of his parents started redating at around the same time. Uh, That's weird. His father ended up remarrying – uh, after meeting Jenny Westaby. And, uh, I mean, at first, Cobain really liked uh, Jenny because he got more of a that maternal attention that he needed, I guess you could say. Good for him. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. And, and things were actually looking to st- start shape up. But then uh, as the family all moved in together into the same home, that put Kurt, his father, his new stepmom, and her two children, Mindy and James, all in one house together. Okay. And then in January 1979, she gave birth to a boy known as you know, Chad Cobain. And so now he's got a new little brother, too. And so this whole new family, which Cobain kind of insisted was not his like real family, was just very different from the attention that he was used to getting. I'm sure, uh, and because he for a couple months he was an, he was pretty much an only kid, <clears throat> and uh, so he started expressing a lot of resentment towards his stepmother and his stepfamily, and uh, he started bullying his stepsisters, and he even cut off the heads of some of their toy dolls. Ooh, yeah, ouch. And uh, so after that, they kicked him back to his mom's, but uh, his mother began dating a man who was abusive. And he witnessed a lot of domestic violence with that. One of the times which she ended up having to go to the hospital because she had a broken arm. Oh, my God. Like, it, things got that bad. And, and But the worst thing was his mom didn't press charges. She still remained committed to the relationship. Uh, <laughs> Damn. But, uh, yeah, which, I mean, unfortunately, that happens all the time, man. I all just think time. of, like, an it's abandoned dog. Like, you know, like those I mean, not the best example, but I get a it. new... Baby animal, just because they love baby animals. Yeah. But then they shouldn't have that many. So by the end of it, they have six dogs and ten cats. And each one. And then they just start abusing them and breaking their arms. More angry and more angrier. (laughs) Yeah. 
That makes sense. Ooh. Yeah. It's just fucking nuts, man. Damn. It's fucking nuts. It's sad how the brain works sometimes, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but after more and more fights with this, his mom's boyfriend, he ended up running away, and he m- went back to live with his father. And uh, and then it just it just didn't get any better. And his dad let him move back in kind of on a, a temporary terms because things just weren't great. You know, and he started behaving more, you know, insolent towards adults. And he also started bullying some kids at school, which is interesting because Kurt, most of his life, when I've, like I've read his biography and it's pretty cool. And they have like some journal entries and stuff. But uh, it talks about how he was bullied a lot for most of his life. And so that's what's kind of interesting here is that when he was in his stage where he needed to act out so much, he was actually bullying other kids, too. Oh. Yeah. Um, but so a lot of this stuff eventually just made his father get him a therapist uh, and who concluded that he'd benefit from a single-family environment. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so Kurt had li- been living with his father for several years, but he actually – his father needed to make it official because he was still under – full custody from his mom oh, okay and on june 28th 1979 cobain's mother granted full custody to his father uh but the funny thing is pretty much as soon as that happened which i mean a lot of people think that this may have like set kurt off actually you know to where he felt like he had to be uh, stuck to one place and he was actually uh, supposed to be a part of this family that he didn't consider his own yeah uh, but as su- pretty much as that started happening, he things just got worse between him and his step family, and uh, his teenage angst and rebellion, I guess you could say, just became too overwhelming for his father, and uh, he placed his son in the care of a family friend. Whoa! Uh, I mean, and it, they weren't related, but it was close enough that he they kind of called him like an uncle, like the uncle and aunt type of thing. Oh, okay. Um, but they were born again Christians, and they are known as the Reed family. Okay, yeah. what? Why? <laughs> Maybe I don't understand. But can you explain to me what "born again Christian" means? Uh, I wish I could. My best guess is they are Christians who stopped being Christians, and then they became Christians again with the idea of like kind of. Not erasing their past, but almost like starting over. I'm like I'm a I'm a born again Christian. How many times can you be That's a born again Christian? Guessed. Like born again Christian twice removed. <laughs> like can you do that? Like can you can you be raised Christian, then start doing heroin and then be Christian again? <laughs> so be a born again Christian and then go back to heroin, and then go back to a Christian. So you're a born again born again Christian. How many? How, I mean, how many? What's the rule? On born agains. I, I don't know if God has any rules. You know what I mean? So you could um, be a born again Christian every other week. I mean, <laughs> I guess if you want to be. Isn't know. that what tithing's uh, about? I then? just so tithing. Bring, that's like a Mormon you, thing. You just pay that's your dues like and a born again Christian you're idea in the club again. You're like, hey, I'm okay. We're all sin free now. Awesome. Woo! Who needs it? Right. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, Someone um, tell me if you're listening so I, and you so know I just, the answer, please tell me. Oh my God! One of our listeners is messaging me right now. Um, his name is uh, oh, this is a weird name. Google. 
his name is. Um, <laughs> okay. And he said that uh, born again is a phrase used by many Protestants and Christians to describe the phenomenon of gaining faith or regaining faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. It's an experience when everything they have been taught as a Christian becomes real and they develop a direct and personal relationship with God, yo. I see. That shit's dope. Thank you, Google, for your texting the thanks, Google. club. So, hey, Google, and thanks for being a listener of Scapegoats, man. Seriously. Jesus Christ, shit is so, getting crazy. So it means you've <laughs> lost faith and then you came back. <laughs> hey, well, there you go. All right. But yeah, so and there's after no limit. this. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, no limit, man. Born again Christian. Cool. Uh, can you so yeah? That, he, does that apply to any other religions? Like, can you be a born again Buddhist? I I mean, it's probably not used, but why not? Because I've only heard it for Christians. Yeah, same here. I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a Christian l- it's thing. A little more specific to Christian. Well, Christians Christians are more lenient about their rules. Like, oh, well, you were wasted p- last night. No worries. Come to church, and all is good. <laughs> we'll be fine as long as we can repent and talk about it. Yay. But, uh, yeah. Anyways, born-again Christians, I don't know. I've heard a lot of jokes again about born-again Christians, so... I can imagine. I mean, there's a, there's I've a got lot more in parts. my back pocket, but we're talking <laughs> about Kurt Cobain, not born-again Christians. Good job. Good job, exactly. But, yeah, so Kurt Cobain became a Christian and regularly attended churches while, church while living with them. Uh, but things started to get worse there, specifically about religion, and he later renounced Christianity... Uh, and uh, he ended up getting kicked out of this home because what uh, started engaging in a lot of what is described as anti-God rants. <laughs> yeah, good times, right? Okay. And the song Lithium, which is uh, one of my favorite songs by Nirvana, oh, yeah? is actually about his experience while living with the Reed family <gasps> and kind of what he learned from that. Oh, um, I'm gonna and it, like it's kind of I'm gonna it, yeah, to that. kind of inspired about. But yeah, his. Uh, Outlook on religion definitely would continue to be an important part of his personal life and beliefs and have a huge influence on his music as well. And that on, makes uh, sense. Not exactly what music he listened to, but about the music that, like, when he tried to write. Yeah, the, th- the thing when I hear somebody and I, I can, like, you get that sense you're a musical genius, you know that yeah. there's dark stuff behind them. And not only just within their personal life, but, like, a, there's got to be some, like, religious aspect that makes them think beyond themselves like the the where did i come from type thing that self-awareness aspect of life is just far beyond what anybody can really grasp Mm -hmm. that's when you know that you've you've got something about you that's really fucked up but i love your music Mm. right well yeah and that's yeah that's for sure there's so many talented artists that you're like oh you're just so fucked up in the head and i'm that makes me sad, but it is. <laughs> Damn, it makes really good music. It, okay, <laughs> it does. Like you have moments in the middle of a song that you just kind of feel for him, but then you want to like you appreciate it so much at the same time. Right. Yeah, and there's other times where you relate, and there's other times where you're like, mm, a little too angry for me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, on his 14th birthday, uh, Cobain's uncle offered him either a bike or a guitar. And Kurt chose the guitar. Oh, I and thought I thought you were gonna be like, no one really knows. <laughs> was, and uh, gave him a bike no or a guitar. We couldn't really tell. There's images. It's actually a myth. They're not sure. <laughs> now, there's a lot of resurfaced pictures of him with both, 
And uh, I mean, you, you never really. I mean, there's there's debates on if he chose the bike and stole the guitar, or got the guitar and stole the bike. There's a lot of you know <laughs> okay. shambles there, but you know, but we'll he, figure it out one day. But, <laughs> but for real, he chose the guitar. For real, he chose the guitar. <laughs> and it's funny that his like his real musical like experience doesn't start until he was 14, even though he was very much more musical before then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as soon as he got that, he started learning a lot of songs by Led Zeppelin, uh, a lot of songs by Queen, The Cars, and that's when he eventually, once he started getting more comfortable, he, he started writing his own music as well. Nice. And uh, Kurt also played left-handed, uh, despite being forced to write yeah. right-handed when he was in school. So. Yeah, fun fact. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hold on to that fact too, because that comes into play a little later. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe a lot of later. But. Yeah. Fun thing. I. Yep. I. Okay. I don't know you're, about you're. many conspiracy theories, but this is one that I've. I wouldn't Ooh. say studied, but I've probably read the most about, which is not a lot, other than writing an episode for. Yeah. I've probably read a a total of three things about Kurt Cobain conspiracy <laughs> theories. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> the most about most. I mean, three things isn't terrible, so that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, this one's fun. Well, not fun, because okay. it ends in death. <laughs> Spoiler, no, it you is, didn't know fun. that Kurt it's Cobain fun. dies. <laughs> oh my god. Whoa, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, too soon? Whoa. <laughs> Take it easy. Jeez, there's a lot of people out there listening. I hate <laughs> oh. I was going to tell you, it's like, you didn't know. <laughs> so, wait, I, you're telling me I did all this research on the wrong person? Because I'm pretty sure my story doesn't end that way. Oh, God. Wait, he oh, no. dies? Okay. Oh. <laughs> Whoa, fuck. My friend wrote this for me. And, oh, uh, shit. That's that is crazy. Just kidding. I don't have any other friends other than you, and you didn't write this. So. Yeah. Fun isn't the right uh, word I meant to use for that. <laughs> This is a, <laughs> it's a interesting it's one. A fu- it's a, yeah, interesting, fun in a fun way, but not in a ha-ha, laugh, it's happy fun no. type of way. No amusement you know, park. Exactly. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, Kurt was not interested in many other things other than music, uh, especially one of them being sports. Uh, he was on the junior high wrestling team, and he was actually a very skilled wrestler, and he loved practices he loved the exercise but when it but he hated a lot of the the actual team feeling of it because he was constantly ridiculed uh for by his teammates and his coach i mean like it it sounds like it was just good old-fashioned organized sports hazing yeah uh but i mean for him being you know a little more sensitive you know and it's not the story that's, even says that's he's the problem. It it's not seems. team sports are not for everybody. And if you oh, have sure. a little soft skin, then it just rips you apart and you hate it. Um, my my brother listens to this and l- love him to death. Um, he had he doesn't have one anymore. He had a little soccer <laughs> side. <laughs> yeah. Um, team sports wasn't for him. That's he, fair. He tried it. And, uh, you know, coach, well, one of them ruined it for him because he was, this guy was a football coach coaching baseball. Oh, that's not a good combination. <laughs> no, it really wasn't. The guy shouldn't have been coaching. But it, he kind of ruined the whole sport for him because he just 
broke him down. God yeah. Damn it. <laughs> I swear baseball's well, see, that- fun. You just got to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and that was one of my problems, too, is I was never into sports. I know. Big shocker. Crazy. Uh, but then the first sport that I, like, did, like, I mean, I loved playing sports, but I wasn't ever into organized sports. But the first sport I did was football that I, like, signed up for. And, yeah, I, just, I had a bad coach who, I mean, I think I was – 11 or 12 and this was my first organized sport so i was starting a little later than some people do yeah uh and but then i also had a bad coach that like was he was a high school football coach but he had stopped doing that for a couple years and then started doing like i I mean i guess that was that's considered peewee football and but he was coaching us like high schoolers and so he yelled at us nonstop. if one kid wasn't able to do all of the push-ups. We all had to run a mile. Uh, and I was like, dude, I'm bro, I'm 11, man. Okay, all right. All right, never mind. That doesn't matter to him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, and it, like it, football's football, but I I I don't I don't have the personality for football anyways. It wasn't the best idea for me to start with football. But it was a quick learning experience. At the same time, yeah, at the same time, it wasn't a good football experience either that same thing. It just ruined my any hope of enjoying any organized sports it's not made for everybody (laughs) yeah it's not meant for everybody that's how it is and uh i actually i mean there's a lot of things i i can't connect with but with kurt cobain uh he was an artist that i studied a lot in high school as well cool but and so there was a lot i think when i was in my more rebellious teenager phase and emotions and stuff that i also felt very connected to kurt cobain I can and so I think that was one of the things as well that kind of connected me. I was like, oh, I fucking hate sports too, yet I'm forced to do them. This is stupid, right? <laughs> Everybody hates it. <laughs> but I digress. Um, so he, he, yeah, so he didn't like wrestling. And he was even a part of a Little League team as well. That was the next step his father tried. But he would intentionally strike out so that he would just wouldn't have to play. So his coach would knew he never had to put him in. I love those kids. I mean, <laughs> baseball <laughs> like, is my sport. Oh, woo! Like, I figured it out. All right. Because th- those kids, they know. They already know. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And if if yeah. I'm a coach and I see a kid purposely strike out, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm like, good for you, man. Way to make up your mind <laughs> and stick to it. Like, you already know what you want in life. This isn't it. Go have fun right? on the bench and eat your fruit roll-ups. <laughs> <laughs> have a good time, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right? At least you know, right? Yep. Is At it? least they know. Yep. Exactly. But yeah, so uh and so as Cobain started uh into junior high, he befriended a gay student at school and he actually ended up suffering a lot of bullying from the fellow students and teachers uh because of this. Because he was associated and they also, with the gayness. Yeah, so he was like, Oh, he has a friend who's gay, and nobody's his friend, so he also must be gay. Good thing and we're so, past that. Uh, I know. There, there's definitely still a lot to move through, but oh my god, it's... Holy shit. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we are definitely past that fucking ignorance. Um, but at least at this time, it actually worked out for Kurt. Uh, he, he was later interviewed by stating, I actually started being really proud of the fact that I was gay, I even to, though I wasn't. I have to have a really bad joke. <laughs> Ooh, I like bad jokes. 
it's it's go a, for it's it. I can edit very, it out if I need to. Very poor taste. Oh, okay, maybe it not. worked out for him because he always got his dick sucked. <laughs> That's awful. That's not poor taste. That's really that bad. Sense. I no, don't take it, it back, but it's just a really <laughs> bad joke. That's fair. I mean, it, it, I feel like it's a bad joke now, but not in like a bad way. That's like it's too fucked up. It's just it's bad because you had to stop yourself and then say it and then explain it. That but too. It's and it's not. I mean? It's not. You're that okay, funny. man. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I take zero credit for that. I like it. Don't worry, man. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was. Uh, so he his friend even one day tried to kiss him, and Cobain backed away and just explained to him, "No, I'm not gay, even though it seems like I kind of am." Uh, Sunshine. Let's just be friends, right? Sunshine. Uh, yeah. But so he stated that he used to spray paint "God is gay" on pickup trucks and as well in the Aberdeen area. <laughs> and there are police records to show that Cobain was arrested for spray painting on vehicles at this time. So That's hilarious. Count up. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And in one of his journals, he said, I am not gay, although I wish I were just to piss off homophobes. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> right. <laughs> So just to tell you, that's a little more insight just off of his personality right now and his rebelliousness, I think, you know, like it's growing it. out of it. Yeah, um, and that's when he started uh, being able to go to concerts. Uh, his parents said his first concert was a Quarterfish and Sammy Hagar concert. Oh, cool. But Kurt's journal talks about how he used to sneak out and see concerts before his parents knew. And he claimed his first concert that he attended was by the Melvins. Do you? And let me ask you something. Do you keep a journal? No, I don't. I think that's lost, isn't it? Uh, that's definitely. I feel like it's a personality trait to have a journal, but at the same time, it's uh, it's definitely like gotten less and less. Yeah. I'm, when I start, um, when I meet people from now on, I'm gonna ask them if they hold a journal or if they carry a journal or something like that. Because I think that's, that's long gone. With there being different social media platforms and being video and photography evidence of things, I think yeah. that journal entries, that art, it's not an art, that, uh, what do you call it? Practice? It's not a practice. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, an ideology, I guess. A, hab- a habit that or a thing. hobby. Uh, what the fuck is that? Don't uh, even worry about it. Move that on. task no longer exists yeah. anymore. Yeah, no, and I and I like yeah, like you, j- you talked about, like I'm sure there's a lot, there's a lot of people who have pretty much just turned podcasting and YouTubing into like just a journal itself. Yeah, and social media as a journal. I just thought that was, but I mean, that was a fun thing to think about. That's all. Oh, for no, totally for sure. It's something that I feel like has just less and less gotten to be a thing. But it's also something that, because I have talked to people about this, that I now feel I have an opinion on it, is that people who have a lot going on in their head, like we talked about, sometimes that can be a good thing, sometimes that can be a bad thing, but people who have a lot going on in their head, it works out better for them to have a journal, I feel like. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, people who don't have a lot going on, like us, we're not going to write journals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have so a I journal, don't. but I do have a <laughs> notebook that I carry with me everywhere. And I don't write my day, but I write notes. Yeah, see, that's what I was going to say. I like write notes in my phone or on l- n- post-its, 
But that's not because I'm like, oh, I need to talk about my day or express emotions or, you know, document things. It's I'm like, fuck, I'm going to forget this. Exactly. So write it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I feel you, man. Okay. But, uh, yeah, he was he he was a teenager and went to see the Melvins and he wrote about it in his journal and talked about how big of an experience it was for him. For sure. Good old journaling. Um, but uh, as a teenager living in Montesano, Washington, he also started hanging out with more friends who were a little more punk. There were some punks. And uh, I don't know specifically if the, by punks I mean like they were they were asshole. They were some dirty punks breaking into things. Or, you know, mostly just punks as in the, the music term. Who knows? I mean, I know for sure it's music, but I don't know if they were also like, like ah, punks. You dirty, mm-hmm. rotten punks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but so Kurt eventually really started to find his escape by listening to punk music, and he started getting more involved in this thriving Pacific Northwest punk scene that was starting there in Washington, and he was going th- to punk rock concerts all the time in Seattle. And during his second year in high school, Kurt began living with his mother again. But two weeks prior to graduation, he ended up dropping out of high school because he found out that he wasn't going to have enough credits to graduate anyways. So he got out of there. Yeah. But as soon as he was done with high school, his mom gave him a choice. Either get a job or you can leave the house. And a couple days later, he found his clothes on the front lawn. Oh. And all of his belongings and boxes. That so, makes you feel loved. Right? Good times. And uh, so he kind of felt not disowned, but maybe banished. Oh, for I sure. I guess you could say, from his mom's house. Can only imagine. Yeah. And so he started staying with friends. Uh, and he even has stories where he talked about where he actually used to sneak back into his mom's basement and live there without her knowing. Oh, dang. <laughs> That's cool, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. He even had some times of homelessness as well. And he slept under a bridge over the Wishka River. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, the word river. It's really hard for me sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, just hang out with me. You're doing see. great, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. River's tricky. So, it's you know, the V fucks me up. But, uh, but yeah, he while living there, <laughs> he, had, <laughs> he had an experience... <laughs> Regis, I'm trying to read his story. I can't keep moving on if you're laughing. My bad. <laughs> Just kidding, man. You're good. Let it out. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he ended up having an experience there while living under the bridge that inspired the song Something in the Way, which is another great song. Oh, and my so, gosh. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that just built up that Dang. if you listen to his music, it's just more and more of these old things from throughout his life that ex- that's crazy. Yeah, helps him write his music. Yeah, I had no idea. Like, it totally changes the whole, dang, now I'm going to be sad when I listen to all that. Like, it already kind of brings you down. I mean, it's it's not the happiest song. But, yeah. I mean, you don't picture him living under a damn bridge. That's for sure. <laughs> Fuck, that's for fucking sure. But yeah, so, uh, punk rock ended up providing to be his most I- profound influence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not only as a teenager, but as a musician, for sure. Uh, and his first punk rock album was Sandinisti? Sandinista by The Clash. 
and then he became a bigger fan of fellow British punk rock band, the Sex Pistols. They're oh, fucking awesome. Good old Sex Pistols. Yeah, buddy. You know what's up. You're you know you're starting to become a, a pretty decent punk if you start getting into the sex. Oh pistols. yeah. That's where I started. I was a punk for junior high, and that was a good time. Yep. <laughs> and that that was one that was like you you felt like a punk. You just felt like a dirty oh, yeah. little rat. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, man. That's good times. Funny. Yeah, um, and then he started getting a little more introduced into some 80s, more American hardcore bands and some punk like Black Flag and Bad Brains. Um, you know, And he was given those by Buzz Osborne, who was the lead singer and guitarist of the Melvins. And uh, Osborne ended up teaching Kurt about a lot of different punk um, by just loaning him records and old copies of some magazines. And uh, M- the Melvins as well were also an important musical influence on Kurt, especially with their heavy, grungy sounds that they kept. Hmm. Yeah, and in early 1985, Kurt formed Fecal Matter. And I didn't say that on 1995, it, 1985 he had a great bowel movement, saying he <laughs> he formed a band <laughs> and named it Fecal Matter. Yeah. <laughs> in 1985, he had the world record. <laughs> The I mean, he's a journalist, so he's <laughs> just writing journal. Uh, today, uh, <laughs> it's early. Pr- I mean, I don't know exact day, but early 1995 for sure. Uh, <laughs> I had such a good shit today. Like, it was <laughs> life-changing. It itched everywhere in, like, all the scratch-perfect areas. Like, so it I, was great. I called the mayor. <laughs> the mayor came. <laughs> Made it happen. And we dubbed it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, he. so this was a... Uh, a band that it was he actually had s- several bands after this as well that were kind of named jokingly but they never really got anywhere I mean Fecal um, Matter is a band name you know you made up just to piss off your parents <laughs> right yeah like it's when like, you're oh, trying to tell great. your family members that you're playing in a at a venue nearby <laughs> just oh what's your what's your name oh it's Fecal Matter oh great that's awesome. <laughs> Can't wait to see it. <laughs> Couldn't wait to tell them the name. Right. But yeah, so uh, Fecal Matter, they spent several months rehearsing all this new material, and they did some covers. Uh, the covers were also by the Ramones, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix. And so, you know, they had some pretty good influences. But they ended up disbanding in 86. Uh, but during this time... Uh, Kurt, uh, during high school at least, Kurt didn't really have anyone that he could play music with. But while hanging out with the Melvins, he started practicing there with uh, a friend that ended up becoming a lifelong friend for him, Chris Novoselic, or Novoselic. I've heard it both ways. So. Okay. Um, but uh, his his mom owned a hair salon, and so they would often just go practice upstairs. Um, and a few years later... Kurt was able to talk Novoselic into forming a band with him. Hmm. I wonder what band that was. <gasps> was it uh, Weird. ACDC? Wrong. Uh, You're so wrong in so Black many Sabbath. ways. And also right. Some yeah. 41. Some <laughs> uh, 41 is definitely the right answer. Ding, ding, ding. You got it. I had no idea. It's actually Aqua. <laughs> the <laughs> Danish <laughs> pops singers... 
Mostly oh. known for the song Barbie Girl. Wow. I had, I had no <laughs> yeah. clue. You blew my brain. Pretty cool, right? You did it again, yeah, Todd. pretty cool. <laughs> Damn. So what a what a twist, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, he started traveling pretty frequently uh, to Olympia, Washington, and that's where he started doing uh, a lot of rock concerts. Uh, and during his time visiting there, he that's when he started a relationship with uh, Tracy Miranda, and they had a close relationship, but it was uh, often strained. They lived together, and they just had a lot of financial problems, and uh, I think they probably could have worked it out if it wasn't for the fact that neither of them wanted to do anything, I think. They were both too young to be out on their own still, oh. and uh, yeah, there was some songs that were inspired by her, but most, uh, but most of that you know, ended about a year later after they started dating. Um, but Kurt started seeing Toby Vale, who was an influential punk Zionister of the band Bikini Kill, which this was a much more influential relationship on him and his music. Okay. Um, so, and uh, Kurt said he had so such strong feelings when he first met her, he actually had to run away and threw up Whoa. because he he was overwhelmed with anxiety meeting her because he just felt so infatuated. How embarrassing. So, he's a fucking emotional guy, right? Like we've talked about that. But like this is a this is a this tops it too. Like oh, he yeah. he meets someone where it's like he thinks he has like a love at first sight thing and he actually throws up from it. The feelings <laughs> literally threw out of him his body. Yeah, exactly. Um and so while he, you know, kind of thought of Vale as his like his girlfriend, like his his counterpart, their relationship was pretty rough. And she was much more to an open relationship. Uh, you know, he wanted somebody to have like a r- more traditional relationship, but she regarded that as kind of like a sexist idea, especially because she was a part of like the counterculture punk rock community. And for her, she was a little more feminist and thought that was kind of like slavery. So he, she wasn't into it. Yeah. Okay. Good times. But most of his emotions and that he felt during his relationship with, with Vale is what inspired the lyrics for most of his songs in his Nevermind album, which Nevermind it for Nirvana was their like biggest album, the fucking best album. Oh, fucking for sure. Um, I mean, so even it, for an example, while he was discussing anarchism and punk rock with a uh, friend, Kathleen Hanna, who's also a member of Bikini Kill, uh, she ended up spray painting Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit on his wall. And Teen Spirit was the name of Vale's, col- like, you know, deodorant. But Kurt didn't know that. And he thought oh. that she was making, trying to make, like, a slogan about his revolutionary, ex- you know, opinions. That is so And that cool. ended up being, like, the, the inspiration for the song Smells Like Teen Spirit. Wow. Right? Like oh, it's I'm filled with joy right now because I feel like I, like part of my <laughs> life is complete. Boom! There you go. Now you understand. Wow. All right. We get, can we end it there? Can we just stop? <laughs> we figured it out, guys. We figured uh, it out. That's what smells like Teen Spirit is about. Just it's about deodorant, but it's also about revolutionary rebellion. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how much joy is filled right now right i mean it's sad <laughs> like it's it's it all ends in a sad note but <laughs> <laughs> no it's fun remember oh yeah, yeah. theme parks 
God figure it out, Regis. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Kurt ended up getting more interest in uh, Jainism and Buddhism and a lot of their philosophy. And that's where even the term Nirvana came from for their band. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, which uh, he d- he described as freedom from pain, suffering, and external and the external world. All right. And that's what he felt like his music was for him. So for when he was playing his music, he was in Nirvana. Ba-boom. Hmm. There you go. That all makes sense. Um, but as soon as they started, uh, you know, starting to really blow up, he really wasn't excited about the touring. Uh, you know, at first, it was he was pretty upset because they just weren't drawing a substantial crowd, and they were just having a lot of difficulty, you know, keeping things together. But and then other times it would just be crazy busy with so many people that he felt like didn't actually appreciate his music. Huh. Uh, and so that's when um, they started rotating drummers. Uh, they started with Chad Channing, and uh, they, that's who was recording with them for their first real album, Bleach. Oh. Um, yeah, and that was released in 1989. Why do I, I – there's – He's significant in some other way. Like, well, Chad Channing? Yeah. I have no idea. Um, I'm thinking of Channing Tatum. That's the only other Channing <laughs> I can think of. Or like Carol Channing. Maybe. Maybe. She's a news lady, right? I could be thinking <laughs> of somebody else, but he's he's significant in something else, right? I'm just okay. blinking. I'll have to think about it then, yeah. I'm not sure. But either way, Kurt wasn't impressed with him and kind of just got you know dissatisfied in his style. And that's when they eventually hired Dave Grawl. And uh, Grawl, the band recorded with him, they're now completing Nirvana. They were able to record their 1991 label debut, Nevermind. And that fucking, that that album changed the world, especially with the the lead single, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yes. Yeah. Um, And with Kurt's kind of more rebellious sound and even just his personality uh so much was connected to with other bands and all the listeners that it really opened up so many opportunities for so many other bands and a different variety of music that would eventually be known as grunge um but nirvana was considered kind of the flagship of band of generation x and Kurt kind of found himself forced into the position of, like, spokesman, captain of the Generation X. And, uh... How nerve-wracking. Throughout most... Yeah. It's, and, uh, yeah, it just didn't work out for him with his personality. Yeah. That's, say, he's got that's a lot not why he in got into That's the last thing he wants to do, is be the yeah. front man. But what else, what other exactly. choice do you have when you're in a, like... You just took the punk yeah. world by storm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, he it's he wasn't getting into music to become rich and famous, but as soon as he started becoming rich and famous, it wasn't what he wanted. <sighs> I don't like um, where this is going, Todd. It's 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 going downhill, man. That's where it's going. Mm. I'm really nervous about what happens in 1994. I don't want to tell you yet. We went downhill, nervous. then we went uphill, <laughs> and now. I see we're going we're about back to down. go downhill. Especially when I start to mention to you that 
for most of his life, he suffered from chronic bronchitis and a lot of intense pain due to an undiagnosed chronic stomach issue. Is that why his voice was kind of crackly? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wonder if him getting bronchitis so often, like, attributed it to his very specific voice. I don't know. Hmm. That'd be nice to know, though. Okay, um, I need to find somebody with bronchitis. Can I go? Can you go to a doctor's office and, like, you can't get? Oh my God! One of our viewers is messaging me again. His name is. Uh, oh, it's Google again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to interview somebody with bronchitis. Have That'd them be nice. Just sing man. a couple lyrics. Meet them when See they're if it all better. Sounds and amazing. Do it again. Like, wow, you sound like an amazing punk when you've got bronchitis. Can you read these lyrics for me? <laughs> oh, wow, not even close to how you sounded a week ago? Hmm, disappointing. Okay. We shall continue. Next person with bronchitis, please. Move it down the line. Um, but, yeah, so because of a lot of this pain that Kurt was in, not just emotionally but also very physically, he was uh, also known for experimenting with drug, with drugs. Uh, his first experience like was Mucinex. Yeah, he sold a lot of Mucinex, Tylenol, um, Benadryl. More, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, who didn't abuse Benadryl? It's where, <laughs> Come on. It's where it all starts, Whew. man. It's That's some crazy times and some corn mazes. That's gateway all I can drug. Say. <laughs> but yeah, so he. One of his first experiences was with weed in no, 1980. No, dude, I had Benadryl once at work. Oh yeah, dude, um, no way, man. I, <laughs> no, seriously, I don't take like, I don't take medicine very much, but I took Benadryl one day. It was really bad, and I was reading like addresses and names and stuff, and I, I'm promising you, man. I was looking at numbers. I was looking at like a house address or something. I couldn't determine the number seven. I didn't know what it was. I was looking at it thinking, this symbol <laughs> means something, but I just don't know. And I had to stop. I uh, just had to lay there because I, I couldn't figure it out. And I can imagine that someone that had Benadryl for the first time went, wow, this is really good. Then they had some more yeah. Benadryl. Then they moved straight to meth. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I'm not a very good – I wasn't a good uh, – I can't even say very good – were good at all. I was a bad teenager, man. <laughs> and so I was a my good. joke no, that I, I wasn't a very no, uh, no. Uh, that's oh not God. the right way to uh, put it. I was a bad. Teenager. I mean, <laughs> you talked about the number seven, but like I couldn't even understand anything for a while there. Uh, but so I made a joke that I was like, oh, a lot of crazy nights in corn mazes, like as just. Was a funny blatant statement, but, but because you've had a crazy <laughs> night in corn mazes. <laughs> well, I used to work in a haunted corn maze as a as like a scarer. Oh, best yeah. job I've ever had to this did, day. Did you tell the story here on the podcast about you making that girl shit herself? I think so, and I'm still very proud of that. I think you did. <laughs> if you have it, just a quick quick rundown. Yeah, because it's uh, a good one. I was one. a clown, and I was working in the clown house. And somebody walked right around through. I was able to jump out in a very scary clown fashion. And they fell to the ground. And I had made a couple people pee themselves beforehand, which was pretty cool. Uh, But she was on the ground. And so I was like, oh, no, are you okay? Do you need some help? And she was like, I I think I, uh, 
shit my pants. And I was like, wait, what was that? I was sorry. I'm like, sorry, it's a little loud. I, I'm wearing a mask. No, I, I think I think I, I think I shit myself. And so I had to calmly walk her out of the haunted corn maze. And uh, that was pretty awesome. That was a definitely definitely going on my chalkboard of life achievements. That's so awesome. Fucking for sure. Oh, her name was um, Lisa Farrington. So if you're <laughs> listening, Lisa. We all know. We all know you shit your Thank pants. you for the story. <laughs> anyway. But uh, no, I uh, I used to take Benadryl. Like, I'd take like 15 Benadryl to oh, try and dang. get high. One of the times, I think I took like 10 or 12. And I was working at the corn maze. And I had ended up actually scaring a group of kids better than I probably could have normally. But it's because... <laughs> I was so high that, like, when you're really that high off of Benadryl, you just hallucinate like crazy. And oh. I legit was talking to a, some stalks of corn, no. and I thought it was my brother, and I, I was legit just having a conversation with the corn. And then a big gust of wind came by, and I was like, whoa, what's happening to your face? And I was like, oh, my God, it's corn. Oh, my God, how long have I been talking to this corn? Holy. Oh. <laughs> and, like, there's these kids that were just, like, creeped out in the corner watching me, and I was like, uh, ah! like chasing, I started chasing them around. I was like, "Oh fuck, okay, and all right." It's all part of the act. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dang, good times. Hardcore good times in the corn days. <laughs> That's where it starts. I'm telling uh, you. It's the reason it's I tried to well, tell you lay off the cocaine, but you feel like <laughs> take it's it necessary. Easy. And I was like, I feel like I have to though, because it's the best, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. But so, Kurt's uh, past probably wasn't too different. Probably started with a lot of that stuff. Then went to weed. Then started doing hallucinogens and LSD, you know, just like all of us. Come on. And, you know, he was also prone to alcoholism. And he, you know, had a lot of uh, prescription drug abuse. So a lot of substance Uh, abuse. Yeah. and Yeah, and according to bandmates and family members – a lot of people, mostly just everyone just thought he was just depressed and he was just self-medicating for both his depression but also for his chronic stomach pain that he was constantly having. Oh. Solitis yeah, or and something? Uh, what's it called? Like appendicitis. Oh, what's that? Is that what like, you're thinking? Never mind. Or colitis or I mean, Col- irritable bile syndrome. I don't know. Something like that. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know exactly what he had, but I know that. For most of his life, it was just un... It was some type of itis? Unknown, yeah. For sure. Definitely a lot of itis going on. Got it. Yeah, Um. but so, like I was saying, this also was at the time as well when he was ha- struggling a lot with Nirvana jumping from being an underground band to now this being this huge band that was also being prosecuted by the media a lot. And mm. he also started harboring a lot of resentment against um, a lot of these fans who were... Um, just misinterpreting their social and political views, which I think for most artists that wouldn't bother them a whole lot. Oh, I mean they're fans. I mean you know they're you know they're misinterpreting what's going on, but they're they, you know they're fans, whatever. But this this bothered him because he originally started the band with having a lot of rebellion and society and political you know influences and it's. Mm-hmm. It's, he just had a hard time figuring it out. I think the big change. 
can understand. Um, and, yeah, and one of his big things as well, even for, for Nirvana altogether, they were big proponents of sexism, or sorry, big opponents, not, they didn't believe in sexism. They were opponents of sexism, racism, homophobia, and they were very publicly proud of, um, especially when Nirvana played at the gay rights benefit that was against the Oregon bill in 1992 for the no on nine, <clears throat> which I think, once again, probably moved past it. But this bill would have made it legal for s- schools to teach that homosexuali- homosexuality was abnormal, wrong, unnatural, and perverse. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Glad we're not there. Good. Once again, boom. Good to see that we're past that. And uh, <clears throat> he was the uh, Kurt was also a big pr- supporter of the pro-choice movement, and the he, they, he actually received several death threats from s- a small number of anti-abortion activists for participating in the pro-choice campaign. Small number be um, the key word in that. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm guessing at least three people. I don't know. But uh, hopefully, <laughs> uh, but so one of the activists even threatened to just shoot Cobain as soon as he stepped on a stage. Damn, right? Fucking attempt. Ruin it for everybody. Come on, man. It's fucked up. But uh, Kurt and Nirvana were very, very calm, and they responded by saying to these people, "If any of you in any way hate homosexuals, people of different color, or women, please do this one favor for us." Leave us the fuck alone. Don't come to our shows and don't buy our records. Yeah. Boom. Easy enough. Yeah. Good shit, right? Yep. So they released. They were. <coughs> they were very dead strong in their beliefs too. Yeah. Uh, which was kind of funny because a lot of people stated that their the band glorified rape and torture, which was what? never true. Um, so this is once again why Kurt would have a lot of problems with people who would interpret their music incorrectly you know he he's noted for saying a lot of times why try to interpret our music we we've written it down for you some of it makes sense some of it doesn't just but just listen to the music you know what i mean Hmm. um so one of the times is that his song polly which is from the nevermind album um but he wrote the song after reading a newspaper story of an incident in 1987 where a 14 year old girl was kidnapped um, and she was and she was uh, kidnapped at a punk rock show, and just, just to let you know, it gets dark for a second. She was raped and tortured with a blowtorch. Whoa, fucked up, right? Ooh. Um, and she was managed to escape after gaining the trust of her captor uh, through flirting with him. Mm. And so a lot of people was like, "Oh, that's a pretty crazy song." Damn. But after seeing Nirvana perform that song, Bob Dylan cited Polly as the best Nirvana song and said that Cobain was a kid who has heart. Damn. So when you have a professional mus- musician listening to a song and understanding lyrics and not being so literal, they understand that it's a great song. But when you have people who are interpreting it incorrectly – uh, you know, like some fucking two assholes. Shortly after the song was released, uh, two men raped a woman after a Nirvana concert, and she claimed that they were singing the song Polly the whole time while they were raping her. What? Fucked up, right? No. Yeah. Uh, so after this happened, uh, it was in the news. 
uh, Kurt was super upset about it. And this was one of a big turning points for him as well, where he wasn't as appreciative of his fans. And it, I think it just had an even bigger an emotional impact on him and his music. Yeah, what a bummer, though. Like, you put you put your, your life into it, like, your mind. Not just, like, your life, but you put your fucked up mind the way it is into this music. You're playing yeah. with people, and then they want to twist it. I can imagine that it really just fucks you up even more. Like you, like it almost turns you off from writing any music. Oh, like yeah. this is what you you turn it into. Well, fuck you all. Like now yeah. you've ruined it for the rest of everybody else. I'm gonna go cr- like crawl in this hole. I'm gonna do nothing now. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just, it's. I don't I don't blame him for that being a big impact on him. Like it's pretty rough. Um and. After that as well, I mean, and so his first real experience with heroin was noted as being in 1986, and it was just given to him by another drug dealer that he usually saw for oxycodone and aspirins, high-powered aspirin, I guess. Um, But for for a couple years, he just used heroin every once in a while. But by the end of 1990, uh, he he was pretty much a full-on addict. I would say. Um, and he was, and he claims that it eventually st- started just as him trying to self-medicate his stomach problems, but then just led to him being addicted to the high itself. Dang. There's a lot of bouncing back on that, but that's at least how it started. And uh, I would say things got worse. I mean, in his point of view, things probably started getting better around now. But in January 12th, 1990, Kurt ended up meeting Courtney Love. Oh. And uh, met her at a Portland nightclub. And when they they were both still parts of an underground band at this time. <coughs> and uh, they, they had a couple go backs and forths, but nothing ever really started, like, into a relationship. There's uh, a lot of flirting, I guess. But in late 1991... The two were often together, and they were, you know, shared a lot of interests. They started falling in love with each other, and they were pretty much together all the time, but also very bonded through drug use. Yeah, she was his enabler. Yeah, and it's think it as. Yeah, and it's it's a. You know he he wasn't exactly the best. You know he wasn't an angel. But she wasn't a good example no. either, I guess you could say. But you was, know, she wasn't a good influence y- on him, I guess. Yeah. You you find someone in your life that makes you a better person. Like that's what I believe a, a marriage is for, is your your better half, and that definitely wasn't his better half. It was just like that equal half. Like you're just yeah. as fucked up as I am, you know. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and they just enabled each other and made each other worse. Yeah. And uh, by 1992. He was doing heroin for before concerts and stuff. And, uh, I mean, one noticeable one is during Saturday Night Live, their performance in 1992. He uh, did Saturday Night fo- Live? Yeah. Wait, was he, like, was he a host or he just guest performed? No, he was just, like, the, the musical artist oh. for it. Um, and, yeah, okay. they did, like, a photo session, but he fell asleep several times for it because he was high off heroin. Oh, like it's, man. How I mean, embarrassing, though. Rough, right? Uh, but so on uh, February 24th, 1992, 
just shortly after their tour. They ended up getting married on Waikiki Beach in Hawaii. And uh, the wedding was there with eight other people, which was including Grohl, but not Nova Selleck. Was his there was a lot going there? on. Uh, what? Was his parents there? I don't know. I'm not sure. Oh. I don't know all the eight people. All I know is that Chris Novoselic and his wife weren't there because his wife and Courtney did not like each other. Oh, They didn't really get along. Uh, but isn't a huge surprise because Courtney Love didn't really get along with very many people. She was loud. She was pretty much always the center. Well, always wanted to be the center of attention. Uh, and she was most of the time high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, um, but one of the reasons they wanted to get married was because Courtney was pregnant. And on August 18th, 1992, their daughter, Frances Cobain, was born. And things, once again, things looked great, but then started going downhill. Mm. Because... Uh, in 1992, Courtney did a Vanity Fair article where she talked about admitting using heroin after the Saturday Night Live concert, oh, dang. which then pretty much just revealed to everybody that, oh, she was doing heroin when she was pregnant. Hey. Yeah, yeah, idiot. So this put them even more in, like, bad media, which isn't what Kurt wanted. You know, he had a hard time as it was just when it was about Nirvana and his band. But now it's also about his own personal life. Damn. Yeah. And uh, so by the, but also the worst part, too, is that the Los Angeles County Department of Children's Services took the Cobains to court and they ended up taking away their daughter because of the couple's drug use. So that was also a hard part on them. But I mean, and it's for the best. I mean, they were they were doing a lot of heroin, so they weren't they were unfit parents. I agree. Good choice. They n- but yeah, not they never not good on kids. his mental health. Yeah, go do drugs uh, so on your own, right? Without small people, small humans. Exactly. But yeah, baby so they cleaned up. Yeah, the baby peoples, smaller kittens, 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 whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, I don't know the official term. But we're close. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they had to they they cleaned up. They stopped taking drugs. They had to take uh, weekly drug tests and go weekly to, for like addiction therapy. This is in like what ni- you said ninety ninety two ninety three. Yeah, this is probably ninety three by now. Because Court- like, Courtney Love late did rehab, but it wasn't for like another decade, right? Uh, I I don't know anything after Kurt Cobain dying. I could give. You don't Zero care fucks about, about Courtney, Courtney Love. Love. She's still <laughs> alive, right? She hasn't died yet. Yeah, she's alive. She's a piece of shit, but she's alive. I mean, she's a mourning. She is a widow. Un- very sad. sad for her. Um, but no, I don't care about Courtney Love at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's just how it is. I'd but uh, but yeah. So they cleaned up, but within about six months. At least Kurt, I, I don't know about Courtney, but for sure Kurt started taking heroin again. Just, he, you know, and he claims it was about his chronic pain. Oh. Um, and so they did a show in New York in July of 1993, and that's when Kurt had his first overdose. 
But kind of interestingly enough, rather than calling an ambulance, Courtney injected Kurt with naloxone to bring him out of his unconscious state. And then Kurt went on to perform with Nirvana and uh, finished the tour. And the public had no idea that anything was just business as usual. Such an insane life. It's crazy, man. It's fucking crazy. Uh, They ended up going on a European tour, and things for Kurt just kept getting worse. He started feeling more more sick. Uh, He was experiencing a lot of pain while singing. And uh, following a tour stop in Munich, Germany, on March 1st, 1994, Kurt was diagnosed with bronchitis and severe laryngitis. So that makes sense for the painful singing, for sure. And so that's when Courtney meant to meet him, and on March 3rd, they met in Rome. And the next morning, Courtney woke up, but Kurt had overdosed on a combination of champagne and rohypnol, which is uh, commonly used for date rape. Rohypnol? Rohypnol. Why would he get himself on rohypnol? I mean, it's something you can get high off of, that's for sure. But... I mean, it's it's very close to, like, Rufalin and stuff like that. But so uh, he was rushed to the hospital, unconscious, uh, and then after spending five days in the hospital, he was released, and they flew him back to Seattle. Oh, uh, and then what happens? Yeah, so the doctors worked on him, said that they didn't think it was a suicide attempt, and just based off the way the drugs broke down in his body. And that it was more likely either accidental or just because of based off of the drug of choice that it was possible that somebody had slipped him the drugs without his knowledge. Yeah, that's where my brain goes. Don't like you don't take that kind of drug on purpose. If you have the option to where you can get heroin. Why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a little different. And I mean, I mean, maybe it was if it was a suicide or like an attempt, then you know maybe he did it because that it's counteractions with alcohol, yeah. or you know maybe he was drugged. Well, I guess we'll with it being close to the that date range, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That w- it could be a suicide attempt, but I just i I'd like to believe that if it's a if there's a suicide attempt, you're not going for some type of date rape drug the, yeah like you're going for something hardcore yeah i i, I agree 100 percent. i agree um but so after this things between kurt and courtney got a little more rough because courtney tried to kill him <laughs> oh whoa hey hey man like i said man she's a grieving widow bro but yeah take it easy but she should be there was a lot of jail. police calls. There was domestic violence. There was yelling at each other. Uh, Kurt had, after Rome, he, he was kind of, it seemed like he was falling out of love with music. And he wanted to cancel doing the Lollapalooza Music Festival, which would have made the band like millions of dollars. And that was one of the big topics of argument between Kurt and Courtney over this music festival. Um, uh, on March 18th, 1994, Courtney called the police stating that Kurt was going to kill himself. Um, he the wouldn't police came that. there and Kurt said, 
I'm not suicidal. I locked myself in the room to try and get away from her. <laughs> but and then, you know, but they the police, to be fair, did take they did confiscate several guns and a bottle of pills that weren't prescribed to him. And so, you know, it's very possible. But Courtney did later say that she lied about the story just because he wouldn't open the door and he wanted somebody to get the door open for her. And so it also seemed like, you know, it's a little bit of back and forth. You really, you don't really don't know who to trust, especially since they're both addicted to drugs. Yeah. You know? Well, Kurt Cobain was a tornado of emotions. Oh. Courtney Love is a volcano of toxic. You mix a tornado and a volcano together. You get an orgasm. You get an orgasm. No. That's what my dad taught me when I was a kid. Is that not right? (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, man. I need to go back. Oh, man. Tornadoes and volcanoes love each other very much. Uh, (laughs) I've got so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) But, yeah, so she ended up staging an intervention uh, with a big group of people. And this kind of pissed off Kurt. He ended up just locking himself in his room. But he was able to calm down, and he agreed to go to a detox program. And he arrived at the recovery center of Los Angeles on March 30th, 1994. Um, Yeah. So The funny thing is the very next day, though, he walked outside to have a cigarette and ended up climbing over a six-foot-high fence and just left the facility. God. Which he had actually joked about that day of with a that he was going to do that. That he's like, oh, that would no, that it would be a crazy idea to do it. <laughs> Only a maniac would think of something <laughs> like that. That's uh, ridiculous! What a stupid feat. <laughs> he was so close. He yeah. was in the building, right? But he took so he was in Los Angeles, and he flew back to Seattle, mm-hmm. and. On April 2nd and April 3rd, he was spotted in numerous locations around Seattle. And on April 3rd is also when Courtney contacted a private investigator, Tom Grant, to try and find him. Uh, Grant searched his house with friend Dylan, one of his closest friends. And they tried to find clues of where he might have gone. They found out that the nanny was one of the last people to speak to him, but the nanny didn't have any contact with him. Um, and on April 6th, Courtney ended up checking into the same facility that Kurt was just in several days before. Well. And she had almost died from an accidental overdose. So she's there now. That's no good. I'll, you know, I'll say my thoughts later, but... You know, she had an overdose. Ugh. April 7th, there started to be a lot of rumors of Nirvana breaking up. And the band ended up pulling out of the Lollapalooza Music Festival because they had, you know, known Kurt wasn't so sure about it, but also because they didn't know where Kurt was. Yeah. <laughs> Not because they weren't sure the band was still <laughs> together. It's because we don't know where <laughs> our lead man is. Uh, where, yeah, where is he? <laughs> Um, but and then on April eighth, there was a charge on his credit card for some flowers. Um, but he wasn't really seen that day. So sad. 
And so also on April 8th, though, Kurt's body was discovered at his Lake Washington house in by an electrician, Gary Smith. Uh, he had just was there to s- install a security system. Sounds and like an electrician. Right? Come on. Pfft. Finding Gary bodies Smith. and stuff. And uh, at first he thought it was just like a, f- like a fake body because he couldn't tell that there was any issues with it. And then he started seeing blood coming out of the ear. And then he noticed a shotgun in between its legs. And that's when he decided, like any other rational human being, to call the local radio station. <laughs> this is my favorite part of the whole thing. Like of all of them, <laughs> wait a minute. The only number guys, I'm I at have Kurt Cobain's house, and there's a dead body. UWZ. I gotta let them know. Yeah. Yeah. So he calls a radio station. The radio host there, after. Some questioning was like, really? Fuck, Jesus Christ, okay. And they called the cops. <laughs> well. And uh, so the cops got there. They found he was in a room that they didn't know exactly was a room. Was, they thought it was like a storage room. And Kurt had had a high concentration of heroin um, and sev- some traces of diazepam as well. And the amount of heroin in his body was actually three times the amount that should have killed him. Whoa, his tolerance so, was just so high, though. Yeah, yeah, very high tolerance. He had a lot of heroin in there. Damn. Um, and the based off the coroner's report, they estimated that he had died on April fifth, nineteen ninety four, at the age of twenty seven. Hmm. And so, uh, his suicide note sounded mostly like he was actually like. renouncing music like he was resigning from the music industry um and except for there's a last there's a last couple lines on it where he's saying goodbye to his loved ones and he's saying i love you to courtney and his daughter francis and those lines are in different handwriting i mean and and it's it's similar but it's different they they believe that it's probably just because that he was starting to be more intoxicated from alcohol, diazepam, and a shit ton of heroin. And so his handwriting was a little different. But the handwriting is different. Still different. Yes. And uh, Tom Grant, the PI that Courtney had hired, believed that Courtney could have possibly murdered him or had him killed. Ooh. And And that he states that he never believed anything she was saying and that she couldn't get her story straight. And that her motives of him finding Kurt weren't f- because she was nervous about her husband. She already tried to kill him once, um, so it makes sense while sh- why she would try to do it again. I mean, allegedly. Allegedly tried to kill him once. <laughs> allegedly. But yes, God I, I agree with what you're saying. <laughs> so his funeral was on April 10th, 1994, and had about 7,000 people. And his death has since been a topic of fascination and debate, for sure. Especially because, as we talked about, he is a significant member of the 27 Club, which is a list of musicians who died when they were 27 years old. And his wife killed him. Allegedly. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because in the 1998 documentary, Kurt and Courtney, filmmaker Nick Broomfield investigated Tom Grant's claim that Kurt was murdered and uh, it took a film crew to visit people associated with Cobain and Courtney. 
Um, and one of these people was the band leader for the Mentors, which was Eldon El Duce Hoke. Pretty, pretty good nickname. You got a fancy name for calling someone a douche. <laughs> right. El Duce. Hey, El Duce, um, get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and he claimed that Courtney had offered him $50,000 to kill Kurt. Whoa. That's a strong claim there, El Duce. Yeah. Strong point. I mean, it's good to also note, once again, El Duce was a drug user, and most drug users' uh, opinions cannot be admissible in court. Or, yeah. <laughs> strong. <laughs> I mean, I don't. What is it? Never mind. <laughs> We're on the same page, though, I think. We're yeah. Good. <laughs> but yeah, so um, he stated that he didn't agree to do it, but that he knows who killed Kurt, but he could only remember his first name, which was Alan. Oh. So we're looking for an Alan around here somewhere. Fuck you, Alan. Killing Ooh. a legend. Jesus. Damn. Uh, but, you know, he wasn't able to offer any evidence to, you know, support his story, for sure. Well, but to, uh, here's another thing, though. I've watched a video of a man who was on drugs that thought he was talking to a lizard. Yeah. And he was trapped in a closet. I fucking love that video. He wasn't talking to a lizard. He is the lizard, bro. Oh, he, he is the lizard. Not so my shit, not my problem. For anybody That's what that I say. <laughs> so for people who use hard drugs that want to claim anything, I don't give them much credit. As much as That's I'd like fair. to believe that Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain, I, I can't believe heavy drug re users like that. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So the thing that uh, adds some interesting touch to it, though, with uh, El Duce's story, is that this was his last interview. Because oh yeah, two days later he died. Oh, he was hit by a train. I think yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't expecting no, that at the very end. There was but. no train conductor <laughs> that was paid off to go run over this man. I don't you believe know, that. Well, be maybe case. he was pushed in front of a train or forced, you know, laid down on a train like, you know, the old damsels in distress of the early 1900 movies, you know, cartoons no. and stuff. <laughs> as, I mean, as cool as that sounds, like tied up and everything in a train, El Duce was just high on something and thought he saw a light bug or a what's it called not a light bug jesus <laughs> like a firefly there we go is that what you're thinking of what are those light bugs a glow fire. worm is that a glow worm <laughs> <laughs> saw a firefly and was chasing it turned out yeah. it was a train oh shit boom you hit by a train bro yeah so either way you know as conspiracies come it's always going to be interesting when somebody just does an interview or is about to do an interview and then dies. So Suddenly dies. I, dun, yeah. dun, dun. It, that is, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. I get it. But again, you mix mm. heavy drug users into it, and it just becomes, it, there's no credibility to it anymore. I can't yeah. take it seriously. That's fair. I mean, because one thing that mixes even better 
than peanut butter and jelly and drug users and trains is <laughs> is opiates and Adderall because it's great. I mean, like what the everybody the knows, best the fucking combo. bees knees. Peanut butter and jelly, get out of the way. Here comes opiates and Adderall. Let's combine them. Got uppers and downers all over the place. Get hit by a train. It's great. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> but anyway, on April 10th, 2014, Nirvana was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with uh, Grohl, Novoselic, and Courtney Love accepting the accolades at the ceremony. Boo. So. Oh, come on. It was great. No. Boo. Boo. Uh, and uh, the Nirvana band members don't like Courtney Love. They, I, I mean, especially why. during the time, they they had a lot of fighting. They didn't uh, enjoy her very well. But she broke up the band. Yeah, they really. She really did. She really fucked shit up. Um, I mean, they all of the band members knew Kurt though. And they state that they understood that he was depressed and they believe that it was just a suicide. And so they don't think that Courtney Love murdered him. So I think it's important to state that just so that I can explain why I chose theory number one, at least. Go ahead. But, you know, so theory number one, Kurt committed suicide. And then there are other theories I could have put over this. This is just that I fi- I figured I should at least put the official story as a possible theory because I don't believe it's the official story, but it's what so many people believe, including his own bandmates. So out of respect, theory number one, he committed suicide. Fair. Not fair that he committed suicide fair that you brought that one in the mix naturally okay cool. you should thank you yeah because it's it's one that it's like it's hard and it's hard for me to believe that he really just committed suicide so it's almost a theory uh even though you know as we've talked about i really hate the ones that are like the putting the approved yeah. theory the story the actual official statement as a theory but this is one but- where it's like yeah yeah to to your point is this is the most believed. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, maybe. I don't know. I can't speak for all humans. Yeah. Or believers of things. But I would ble- I when anyone talks about Kurt Cobain, they talk about how he committed suicide. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so theory right. number two Kurt was murdered by Courtney. So well, the the not a theory. Over, the act the Facts. overdose the suicidal fact number two <laughs> Courtney the alleged fact number two <laughs> <laughs> just waiting for one of them to slip by that just goes out and right. <laughs> come ripping at us and then we're getting sued by Courtney Love out of nowhere <laughs> she's got a lot of backed up Nirvana money okay don't. Don't exhibit her. <laughs> the wrath. serving papers are on their way. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so this would explain the the possible accidental, you know, the suicide attempt in Rome. Yeah. Maybe she tried to kill him, and you know, that was a failed 
murder attempt. And it's possible that she could have somehow murdered him officially and then gotten back to Los Angeles and then had a accidental overdose as a, I mean, which is a lot to say that, okay, I just murdered my husband. I'm going to travel back to this other state and then create an alibi that is bulletproof. Okay, how do I create a bulletproof alibi? Overdose. Let's overdose right now. Let's do it. But, I mean, you don't know when you're going to overdose if you're going to live or not. It's like so. I don't know how many people watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but I, I used to watch it a lot, a long times. A long yeah. times. A long times. I used to watch it a lot. And Dennis and Dee, how they would do their stunt about getting hooked on cocaine. That oh, yeah. way they can get welfare so they can use that money to get rich. So exactly. it's like that same thing. Like, we need to come up with this bulletproof plan. <laughs> I know. Let's use drugs. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a uh, there's a and they got that idea from Courtney Love. Exactly. That is that was her idea original. Courtney Love brand. Let's do drugs. Boop. Allegedly, do we have to say allegedly there? No, I mean I think that's fair. <laughs> cool. But good job keeping an eye out. Thanks. Um, but so. A lot of people say that. I mean, like, especially the police are a part of the. A lot of people for when I the say the band this. or the actual force. <laughs> <laughs> good one, good one. Because there is <laughs> this episode's one of those where it's a lot. Uh, the Beatles and the Monkeys also agree. <laughs> <laughs> so the police, the Beatles, and the Monkeys are all together in the courtroom, and they're all like, ooh, ooh, ah, ee, 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 and like, hey. They didn't say anything, but as me, a police officer, <laughs> I'm saying that she has an alibi, or she has a yeah. bulletproof alibi. <laughs> but so she was in Los Angeles the whole time between that he was gone, and also during the time that he died. So that so is there part- proof other than checking into that rehab place? Yes, there. I mean, there's hotel stays, but I mean, you could do like hotel stays and stuff, but still be in a different state, right? Somebody you check into in a hotel, you. or you, or she could have even possibly gone there, checked in, and then gone back to Seattle, and then just came back as quick as she could. But I mean, there's no, there's no evidence of like an airplane flight of her going there and coming back, though. You know what I mean? Um, <sighs> but so that's where. Like, this is, like, a theory number two, like, B, which is, like, it's still that Courtney murdered him, but it's not that, like, she herself did it. She just paid someone to murder him. Like a hitman? To kill him. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, so that would go along with El Duce's story a little bit and why maybe he was pushed into a train or why maybe he just was really drunk and high and ran into a train. I don't know. You're in my parking spot, El Duce. (laughs) Right. Take it easy. Um, but yeah, so theory number three: Kurt is still alive. What? Bum, bum, bum. <gasps> so, just like a lot of, like you know, like Tupac, Elvis, all that shit. There's always gonna be one where Dale Earnhardt. I mean, Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know exactly. Out dead people. Michael Jackson. We all know <laughs> they're still alive. Dale Earnhardt, the r- I threw in a race car driver into this music episode. Just to throw you're doing great. I, that's hey, I like it, man. 
Got to curve those balls every once in a while. Every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, he faked his death because he wanted to get out of the media's eye and attention. He wanted to get away from Courtney. And, uh, you know, so he, you know, it's possible that he got a, you know, killed somebody else and yeah. just stashed all of his stuff there. I don't know. The huge. I don't know what it takes to frame somebody else's body with yours, but I definitely would believe it would involve getting rid of dental records and the way their face looks. Hmm. As fucked up as that sounds. But, I mean, that's what you use a shotgun for, right? Hell, When God. you're committing suicide, so. That one hurt. Okay. Theory number Not four. Not as much as it does as a shotgun to the <laughs> face, though. <laughs> yeah, true story. True story. Uh, theory number four. He was killed because he was part of Club Twenty or the Twenty Seven Club. Wait a minute. So you, like, I don't. I I'm I'm not understanding this Club Twenty Seven. I thought you join the club after you die. So, but that's, theory number four is you are already a member of the club, and then you so, die. So one of the theories about Club Twenty Seven or Twenty Seven Club, either or whatever you want to call it is that it isn't a club you join after you die. And this was this theory really started becoming more prevalent actually when Kurt Cobain became a member of the 27 Club. And a lot of this is when theories started believing more that maybe the 27 Club was connected to somehow the Illuminati. And that hmm. these people had made a deal with the Illuminati that they would become rich and famous and they would, you know, they would follow all these contractual agreements. But then if they started to not follow these contractual agreements with the Illuminati, I guess you could say that's when they were killed, but they would usually kill them when they were 27 because there's a specific message in the age 27, at least numerologists state. There's a lot of weird numerologist science behind it. I'm not going to explain. You can do your own research if you want. Um, and so they would then fake their deaths, usually consumed with alcohol and drugs, which was their forte. And they were then no longer their, the Illuminati's problem. Or another theory is that the 27 Club is connected with a pact with the devil. You know, it's these oh, these damn. struggling artists who want to become famous and they, you know, a very typical, you know, type of contract you'd see in a movie yeah. is they would, you know, they would sign with their blood and all this that they would become rich and famous. But the the clause at the end that they didn't read is that, oh, you die when you're 27 years old. Hmm. Okay. So that's that. So let's take it back. Theory number one. I'm ready. Okay. Kirk committed suicide. Uh, I, I, oh, you've made up my yeah. mind for me. I'm just yelling it for you. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I hear that. I, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle on this one. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I do I, believe I it, and I, but I, I also believe in number two at the same time. It's tough. Because it's really hard to go against the official story when there's yeah. no other proof stating that the official story is wrong. 
Like, I get it. And there's a lot of evidence that shows he was a depressed guy that could have been suicidal. So, like, I I get that. I do do believe that he committed suicide in the same breath that I also believe in theory number two. It's one of those two things. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, then, deal. For theory number two, then I won't even pull out the goat. Kurt was murdered by Courtney or Courtney paid someone to assassinate him. Yeah. Some something in that effect happened. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, you know, I'm just going to say, like, it's very unfortunate for her if this isn't true, because then she's just a sad widow. I'm sorry. Sorry for your loss, Courtney. But also well, you murdered him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not I guess it's not something to joke about, even though we've we've been joking. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but when you when you are addicted to something like that, you know, it absolutely takes over and ruins your life completely. So whether or not she played a part in his death, you know, that's something that she's living with. And it's it, it has to eat her away all the time because I, I think I mean, hopefully I do believe she's are, she's been through rehab and she's clean now. If I if I remember right. Yeah, um, at least as far as I know. Yeah, she but, at least hasn't been in the news recently, so that's good. Yeah, S- but that that whole part of her life is probably the darkest cloud that anybody has, you know, that y- you can carry around with you. Yeah. So, again, whether whether she played a part or not, that's eating her alive. And, and having that drug abuse part, that that's harder to live with than than being a widow. Yeah. That's fair. I, I can that. only uh, it's, I can only imagine. Yeah, that's fair. I get that. All right, so yeah, we we both see both sides of theory one and two, so that's good. But what about theory number three? <laughs> hey, he's still alive. Uh, faked his I, death. I almost hope that's not true. Yeah. A part of me uh, yeah. hopes it is true, but I mean, at the same time. But what good? Well, yeah. what does that do? So I mean, what if he, he's alive? He it's not to, like he's he, gonna he make gets to more go do music. his own thing. Well, I mean, yeah, he just—it just means that he's not dead, though. <laughs> but it just means he got—he got to change his life and go living. live it happier. I don't know. I mean, hopefully happier. 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 Happily. This wine's kicking in. Hey, Rose. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> I, for a man that's messed up like that. There's, I don't think there's coming out of a dark hole. Yeah. Changing lives doesn't exactly get rid of that. No. So just so. as if someone who who was physically ill that was never going to get better, it's not that you put them out, but when they die from being so sick, you, you're almost yeah. a little bit happier for them mm-hmm. that yeah, they're it's not almost like suffering somebody who's anymore. Like, who's got like late-stage cancer. That, that would then fake their death and go start a new life. You're like, yeah. oh, well, they're st- still going to die from cancer, right? No. He was <laughs> yeah. just so brain sick that it was – I'm not going to say that it was better for him to die because I, I, I don't yeah. mean to be so insensitive about it, but it's probably a little bit for the best for him, not for yeah. everybody else, but for him to get out of his own head. Yeah. I mean, and like it's sad, it's like – you know, he left a wife, he left a daughter, but and and but when people are depressed, they 
they don't realize those things. No. And I don't, and, uh, but they're also but they're also very, you know, with him in his case too, he's very addicted to a lot of different drugs, especially heroin. Yeah. And that's that that and he was also just this type of person who had so much going on his brain in the first place that staying alive and moving on to a different life wouldn't give that wouldn't make him a born again christian you know what i mean that wouldn't make him a born again kurt it would just it would just be him yeah yeah living which is interesting us talking about the topic this way we are assuming that he killed himself so i guess we we more believe in theory number one than we do theory number two yeah, and I mean, in even in theory number three, for sure. Because oh, yeah. I feel like one and two, I'm pretty torn, but him still being alive, eh, I believe in one more than three. Yeah, I agree. Theory number three is a no-go. Okay, deal. <laughs> theory number four, he was killed because he was a part of the 27 Club. That sounds Whether like that's... a conspiracy theory. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. <clears throat> so, and and that's what's kind of tricky with the 27 Club is because there's so many theories just about the 27 Club itself. Um, You know, and so me bringing up the, the Illuminati and a pact with the devil as a part of that, I mean, that's, that's pretty heavy. I think um, you, know, you can only get one or the other, though. Yeah, and, and so it's kind of hard because... At least in my world. <laughs> you can only get one or the other. You can't have both. <clears throat> so so this list goes back all the way to 1864. Sorry, oh. uh, sorry, eight, sorry, 1892. Still? Um, Impressive. And so, so the idea of the 27 Club didn't start until the late 70s but they were able to track this list back of musicians and artists and you know and actors that had died at the age of 27 and so that goes all the way back to an Alexander Levy who was a composer pianist and conductor and he died at the age of 27 in From 1892 drug overdose um his was an unknown cause of death actually um but so it it set, there's a lot of people on this list that I know for a fact you don't know and that I don't know <laughs> hmm. <clears throat> but i mean there's there's a lot from the 60s there's a lot from the early 70s i mean and th- but that's like you know from the 70s as well as we talked about is when it really started to become more prominent with jimi hendrix Janis Joplin, uh, Jim Morrison. You know, uh, there's also a, you know, a famous keyboardist of Badfinger was Pete Ham. Um, Cecilia, the singer, was in 1976. Dang. Um, singer and songwriter and guitarist of the the pop band Big Star, Chris Bell. Um, there's there's a shit ton of people on this list. That's so crazy. That I um, mean, I, I don't really believe in theory number four, but it's something's up. Like it, it it's there's too many things to think some something's yeah. up with that. Right, uh, Kurt Cobain, 
for sure is on this list. <laughs> um, just want to make sure what? that people know for sure he is on this list. Okay. <laughs> um, so and the and the idea of the twenty seven club kind of started to dwindle for a while there. And as you get as you stated earlier, Amy Winehouse is another big one on this list who died at the age of 27. Hmm. And uh, the the latest person to be added to the list was an American rapper by the name of Frito Santana. I've never heard of him. Um, hmm. But he died on January 19th, 2018. Okay. So so the the list has a lot of people, and there's a lot of famous people, mostly musicians, and most of the musicians as well are left-handed. So that's another thing that sometimes gets added into this huh. as well. <clears throat> that's weird. So, um, yeah, 27 Club, do you believe it's the Illuminati or possibly a pact with the devil? No, I don't. Boo, you used to say yes to theory number four. God, Regis, you've become jaded. <laughs> Sorry to let you down. <laughs> it's okay. It's my fault. I've jaded you. I mean, <laughs> I've been exposed to too much. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's hard because it's there's definitely. I feel like there has to be something with it's just too crazy. The Twenty Seven Club. There's it's too much to be a coincidence. But at the same time, coincidences happen a lot if you're going to look at a lot of things. Yeah. Think so. how many other artists there are that have not died at age 27. Yeah. There's probably well, more mean, artists that have died older than 27 than there have people that have died at 27. For sure. Well, and I mean, but also think of how many people have died at 27 that aren't artists or, you know, yes. aren't musicians or famous people in any way i think a lot of it is just so. a coincidence as lame as that sounds you if you're listening you can boo me all you want fuck off but i i think it's more of a coincidence than anything yeah well and th- i mean even if it's not quite a coincidence you know there is a lot of psychology behind um stages that people go through throughout their life and um a lot of soul searching sometimes happens ah. at the age of 27. You know what? <laughs> I I can absolutely agree with that. 27 is when my life flipped cuz I I had to do something. Like it was a uh, I had to make a change or I was going to go down a dark path. 100%. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so there's and it's different for every person, but there's I mean and they can't find a scientific correlation, but psychologically speaking, there's a lot of people who believe that between the ages, I think, I believe, I, don't, I forgot to write it down, but from 24 to 30, there's a lot of soul searching, and 27 seems to be kind of like a, a pinnacle for that. Yeah. And that sometimes, especially if people are under the influence of drugs or alcohol or depression, that that's going to either make or break their, you know, their their pinnacle. That's going to either really determine on if it's they're going to f- 
turn things around and figure things out or just continue on the path they're on, which for some people could lead to suicide like it did for Kurt, allegedly. I so. think that's crazy. <clears throat> but yeah. I, 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 uh, I think that's the case more than anything. Because, yeah, I think what, you know, late 20s is you kind of got to figure out either you're, you already have to start your career path or, you, you know, there's that, am, am I too late to get started on anything new? Yeah. Because, you know, either you've started a family and it's time for the next phase of your life or, you know, whatever it is, the late 20s is time to make a move and then stick with it. That's fair. That's fair. I get it, man. Cool beans. Well, that's it. Damn. Kurt Cobain and his that was, death. <laughs> that, that was good. I like that one. Oh, good. I'm glad. I've, it's it's one I've wanted to do for a long time. Yeah. But, uh, and I mean, and this episode ended up being long, and I knew it would <laughs> because of just how much I knew about Kurt Cobain and how much research I did into it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah. But uh, fucking Kurt Cobain and Nirvana – Huge impact on me, fucking for sure. Yeah, and anything and music for, for sure. I can have fun chit chatting about that shit all day long. Easy peasy. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to Scapegoats. Thanks for listening to the episode. For Hopefully real. Enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, thank you as well to all of our goats, all of our international goats, and especially our patron goats. And our level 9,000 Ultra Mega Goat, Lucina. She asked me not to say her last name. Walton. Lucina Walton. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And, uh, I mean, Walton, I feel like it's getting worse and worse. That's a real name, Regis. You've Sheesh. Gone, you've <laughs> <laughs> That's the sad part. Someone's real last name. Yeah. It's been a real roller coaster. <laughs> but if you guys want to be cool like them, please go to patreon.com slash scapegoatspod and please. sign up for one of our awesome tiers. Please and thank you. We've got a lot of shit. Yeah. Uh, you can get our merchandise by signing up through our Patreon, or you can also go to www.scapegoatspod.wix.com slash scapegoats, and you can get all of our merchandise there as well. Whoop. Uh, Boom. Please go check out our Facebook and Instagram. That shit is awesome as well. We put a lot of work into that. And uh, if you haven't already, please, 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 if you're not going to do anything else we just asked you to do, at a minimum, subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating. It's the biggest help you could do. Much appreciated. Much, very much, much. So, uh, Regis, anything else, my friend? Uh yeah, I just invented uh, a new thing that I'm gonna start doing. Ooh! Um, I started putting vodka in squirt bottles, and hey, any times my dogs uh, misbehave, I'm gonna spray them with vodka. Okay. Um, I just started doing it yesterday, and now the my youngest pup, um, she's been sleeping for hours. <laughs> It's work. It's working well. Like, so it's I working tr- I great. I started with water, and I just realized they just get wet, and then this isn't they, concentrated enough. They're still misbehaving, <clears throat> so I kicked it up a notch. It's working wonders. 
Hey there. Hey, man. And I get don't you. come at me for animal abuse because um, it's pure American vodka. Oh, well, then it's patriotic, so it's okay. You know right. I mean? As long as you're not exactly. chloroforming your dogs, we'll all survive, right? <laughs> come <on>. America. <laughs> Funny. Fuck shit. All right, man. Let's do it. Till next time. Don't be, don't a be sheep. sheep. Be a be goat. A goat.